Welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth, joined by Uncle Funky Larry Jones. And during this time of uncertainty and anxiousness, a lot of anxiety going around, we have on the phone uh, with us former beauty queen. She's a pianist, a motivational speaker, and also, from what I understand, she is running for President of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the lovely Jade Simmons. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me so much. Thank you for being here. So um, how are you holding up during uh, quarantine life and all things COVID-19? You know, one thing you didn't mention is I'm a wife and a mom of two. So just like most of the country, I'm suddenly homeschooling. So that balance has not been the easiest thing, but I will say I am enjoying the unexpected family time. We're looking for as many silver linings as possible, and that's definitely one of them for us here. Indeed. So um, if, if you don't mind, just um, letting Houston and, and the world know who Jade Simmons is. What? Where, where did she start? How did she start playing the piano? Where did that come from? Where did that passion ah. begin? I'm originally from Charleston, South Carolina. So I started playing piano at a late age, uh, which was in classical. It's eight years old, which is kind of over the hill in that world. But I think much like you, you know, it's one of these kids who grew up doing multiple things, playing lots of instruments, lots of sports, overly involved. Uh, and I have incredible parents who always challenge me to make sure that I, if I was going to get involved, that it was for a reason and that I would use all the different gifts that I had to make some kind of impact. So that started pretty young. And then I went to school for music performance with Northwestern. And then my husband and I came here uh, so that I could go to Rice University here in Houston. So that's how I ended up uh, back in the South. And music has been kind of the through thread. It was the beginning of my career. I made my career as a concert pianist, a concert artist. Uh, and then I started adding in speaking, and that took on a life of its own. And today I create these combination, inspiration, entertainment, information, keynote uh, appearances that I make for corporations all over the world. And I'm brought into not only inspire, but to really bring in transformation and breakthrough for the people in the room. That that is amazing. So um, I'm I'm anxious to know um, who were some of your uh, influences, or who who did you listen to uh, in terms of um, piano? Okay, so probably in the in the world of classical, the expected name. You know, it's always Beethoven, it's always Rachmaninoff, but mm -hmm. if I'm being honest about my influences in terms of how I kind of shaped my career and the type of impact that I wanted to have, I have to be honest and tell you I was inspired by Michael Jordan. I was in school in Chicago when he was really in his, his heyday with the Bulls. Uh, and then I'm also inspired by uh, Apple, the corporation, as well as Oprah Winfrey. So I was looking at how people were using branding and marketing to really reach broader audiences. And I was curious to know, you know, how far could we stretch outside of our main industry to have impact in others? And so those were big inspirations for me. 
Hi, Jay. It is Brother Larry, and I just was very curious about the 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 turns and twists in your personal life. Am I understanding correctly? You are the former Miss Chicago. I I was Miss Chicago, Miss Illinois, and then I went on ultimately to be first runner-up in the Miss America pageant, and was able, as a 22-year-old, to have uh, youth suicide prevention as my platform, and it allowed me to to be able to testify in front of Congress on behalf of mental health funding. So you talk about twists and turns, but I would not do anything differently. I feel like they were all ordained parts of the past that have brought me to where I am today. Well, we we, we thank God for your vision and your purpose. We thank God for uh, allowing you to fill this space in the universe with all of this, this, this precious greatness you have within you and the fact that you have travel in different zones meaning uh you, your being as a as a as a, uh, a beauty pageant contestant representing the the great state of illinois and then united states of american classical pianist and and all that you do is and it's it's exciting to be around people who embrace the gifts that have been mm-hmm. given and then do the number one thing and kg and i talk about this all the time is share your share your vision you share your talents to make this world a better place. And we thank you for that. Thank you. That's very nice of you to say, you know, one of the things that I don't think there's a stage I'm on uh, where I don't say this one thing, which is your purpose is it's not the thing you do. It's the thing that happens in others when you do what you do. And I think when I realized that, man, I was freed from just that concern and the worry about doing everything so perfectly you know as a classical pianist we were always worried about missing notes or having memory slips but when you start to turn your attention onto what's happening in the audience as you play what's being moved or activated in them it just frees you up not only as an artist but as a person to dare to believe that uh, your purpose is to impact people and for me it was to to in, impact people in a way where they would decide to become the next version of themselves. What's that biggest, boldest version of yourself, the one that is the most capable of impact? So I'm appreciative for what you said. Um, and it really, it always helps me to remember that if we're really operating in purpose, it's never going to be just about us. It's always going to be about what else can you do? How much more can you serve uh, the people that you're most near? But how, how much broader can you dare to serve as well? Indeed. You mentioned uh, Michael Jordan, uh, Apple, the company, I'm sure Steve <laughs> Jobs and Oprah Winfrey as um, your inspirations. Yeah. Um, very hardworking uh, people. I'm curious to know, how much are you enjoying The Last Dance a documentary on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's. Uh... It's a, my husband and I, my husband, uh, we are high school sweethearts. So we, we both played basketball growing up and probably the only sore point we had in our relationship was how much I liked Michael Jordan. So we're having, we're having a bit of fun now as we're watching the last dance, we're watching it together. And I was telling him, you know, I feel like I'm reliving that whole era. Um, I used to make sure that I was done with all of my homework in college so I could watch the games without interruption. And I, as I watch these, this old film, you know, I get that same energy that I, when they start announcing the players as they come on the floor. And I'm reminded again of how great 
of a worker he was. Same with Kobe Bryant's documentary that was out um, not very long ago. I'm, I'm really inspired by other people's work. And when I see people defy what's expected of them, that's something that for me is a great source of inspiration. So I'm on cloud nine over here. <laughs> Indeed. And something um, that defies a lot. You know, this time that we're living in, and I just, you know, I, I want to get into it because we miss sports so yeah. much. And the earliest, the earliest that we may see sports gathering, just large gathering gatherings, concerts and whatnot, uh, they're saying is uh, fall of 2021. I'm really saying just get your mind yeah. ready for uh, 2022. With the, mm. um, yeah, just get that in your mind, folks. Um, with, with, the, um, with the lack of leadership and how this whole pandemic was handled, especially here uh, in this country, um, yeah. what would you have done different? Well, let's, let's just be really honest about it. What, what we are seeing going down, it's a disgrace. I mean, you know, we, we built such a brand. We talk about branding and marketing, you know, our brand is being the wealthiest nation in the world, the most powerful that we are being compared to. And it's, we've, we've done a disservice to our people. So you talk about how do you do things differently? Well, what's really hard to hear is people say that they didn't know about this, that we couldn't have done anything. I've been following the COVID-19 story since before it was called COVID-19, when it was only a novel coronavirus. And I'm talking about back in early December. I remember when, when they were saying you couldn't make the species jump from animal to, to person, and then it happened. Mm -hmm. I remember taking a trip, and there were only six deaths, and I came back, and there were over 100. And I couldn't figure out why I wasn't hearing about this in the American media. I was listening to, like, global news podcasts. And so I'm watching now two sides point fingers, and really there should be three thrown in there because the media could have been covering this because I was following it on international media. And we're now watching the same division that has been running rampant already take over and how the money is being distributed and how we're talking about it. And so the American people are suffering. They're suffering from a president who prioritizes profit over people every time. And also just a political system that will always prioritize partisan, partisanship and talking points. So what I would have done differently, first of all, is looked at what was happening. South Korea took this thing by the head. They were aggressive and did not shut down because they had the number of tests available. So if we talk about reopening right now, and it's a hard thing to say. I'm a small business owner. My business as a speaker relies on us being able to gather in hundreds and thousands of people at a time. So just know that when I say I do believe we've reopened too early, that that's coming from someone who is literally paying the price of being shut down. But what I would do differently right now where the reopening is concerned is I'd make sure we'd have at least the capacity to test half a million people a day. That's what experts say we need in order to know who's sick, who looks healthy but is sick, who's recovered. And then I think we have at least two different industries we could jumpstart one right now, uh, which I call ongoing emergency preparation. That would jumpstart, oh, how many jobs? Just from 30,000 people you'd need to hire right away just to do testing and trace those who are tested. So we're seeing it painted like it's a uh, competition between 
reopening and starting the economy or being safe. And that's a false comparison. We can do both. Uh, so I think, you know, as an inspirational speaker, it sounds funny to say, we don't need a cheerleader right now. We need someone telling us the truth. And we need to know how to behave. Just one day, one hour of misinformation costs us lives. So you would see, you know, the motivational speaker not looking to just make people feel good, but to make sure we have good information. And lastly, I'll say, I think there's something we, we haven't seen yet, which is that because of the misinformation, we're going to see a rise in lawsuits. I think you're going to see individuals suing cities, suing states suing media outlets because of the information that was either uh, released hastily or really um, just was wrong or put positioned for a partisanship game. Yeah, so or, and when you have a president of the time. United States who keeps continues to push conspiracy theories and really yeah. use the office of the presidency to push these uh, ridiculous um, theories is just, I mean, it leaves me incredulous every time, even though I, I shouldn't be at this point, but even <laughs> still. People keep saying that, right? Why are we still surprised? Here's what I say. When you, when you choose your leaders, you must always look at how they have lived because they will not behave any differently in office. Listen, I told so them that in 2016. Someone, <laughs> listen, if you have someone, is, you have the argument, we elected him because he was a businessman. Okay, well, look at how he ran his businesses, because that will be how he will run the government. And we're seeing that. Someone who's not afraid of bankruptcy will bankrupt a nation. We're sitting on a debt bubble that's going to pop. Uh, the good thing about that debt bubble is I think we're going to see a large organic redistribution of wealth, and people who've been at the bottom for a long time are going to be in a position, if they know, if they know, if they know what to position for, uh, to get some of this wealth. But, you know, these stimulus checks that are not getting to the right people, again, I'm a small business owner, and there was that loophole where you had these huge corporations getting stimulus money. Um, and, you know, we, we pointed at the Republicans for that, but were there no Democrats reading the bills? You know, so we have to start to ask ourselves, is the current system really serving the large majority of the American people? And I think if we want the same thing, then we elect what we've always elected. If we want something different, you're going to have to elect something radically different than what we've had before. And Jay, that's why uh, our parent company, Urban One, has a tremendous incentive uh, under newsone.com slash vote to make sure that we're registered, to make sure that we, we get the facts mm. and we weigh one way or the other. But as you just said, we, we get nothing by sitting on the sideline. And it is an amazing opportunity for all of us to step up and 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 get some of this great wealth that you just spoke on. But, you know, KG and I were sitting here and our heads are spinning, just enjoying listening to you and the truths that you speak. <laughs> but I was kind of curious, being the young old man that I am, if that there wouldn't be a set of uh, there wouldn't be a keyboard near you at, at some near left or right hand, would it? You know, I got one within walking distance. I, I was kind of, I was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of hoping you might share a little of your gift with our podcast audience and those who know of you globally are listening right now. And I thought, well, you know, let's just let's just see what Miss Ma'am can do for us this this new day. <laughs> you know, I uh, have been just talking about the power of the arts, something that we don't see celebrated as much 
uh, in recent years. We've seen it taken out of the schools. We don't hear a lot about it um, celebrated in government as well, but I think it still has this power that no other medium has to really transform hearts and minds. So I'm going to play a little bit of uh, Rachmaninoff, if your listeners won't mind a little change from normal, but this is some of the music that I play when I'm on the road, um, and it's a piece that's become very near and dear to me, but this is one of his preludes. I'll play just kind of an excerpt of it, uh, but thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this gift as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Jade Simmons. people follow you and, um, and, and and be a part of the mission? Yeah, they will find us at OperationRestoration2020.com. Uh, you'll learn about myself as an artist and as well as just this message of wanting to restore the nation, not to just say that it's great again, but to really look at what it means to become one nation, one nation all over again. Well, Jay, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the podcast will continue right after this. Welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm KG Smooth. And I'm Uncle Larry Jones. And KG, it is a good day and good to see you, my friend. Indeed, Unc. And uh, we have on the line uh, someone who feels very familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, She is a senior fellow at the American Progress, where her focus is on a wide range of women's issues, um, including family work balance, pay uh, equality, uh, women's leadership, all kind of things. And uh, she also wrote an amazing article uh, entitled On the Front Lines at Work and at Home, The Disproportionate Economic Effects of the Corona Pandemic on Women of Color. And she also worked with our forever first lady, Michelle Obama, <laughs> in the Obama administration. Well Ladies said, and well said, sir. Jocelyn Fry well is said. on the Public Affairs Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here and to chat with you today. Indeed. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a strange time. And... What I find um, ironic is that uh, the conditions that it seems that all Americans uh, are in right now with the uh, economic effects of COVID-19, how they're having to navigate and uh, try to survive. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, 
I said, oh, well, black people, this is a, this is everyday life. I mean, we, yes, we, we've been doing this. Been there, uh-huh. done it. You know, but now there's even more strain, uh, especially for uh, black women uh, around this time. Can you just talk about the economic effects of COVID-19, especially on women of color? Who happens to make up the largest entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurs in the world? Um, you know, uh, it's a great question, and thank you for, you know, framing it in exactly the way that you did. Um, you know, because we're de- we are indeed dealing with uh, a, a unique and very strange moment. Um, but we also know a lot about how families survive um, today, and the reality is, particularly in the black community, but not only the black community, women are really critical to the economic stability and survival of families. And we've known that for a while. If you look at the data and you look at mothers of color, they are more likely to be breadwinners for their families. Um, If you look at um, uh, single heads of household, um, those are disproportionately women of color um, when you look at women who are single heads of households. So we've known for a long time that women, particularly women of color, are critical to the economic um, stability, survival of families. And now we have this incredibly um, challenging moment when folks are losing their jobs um, and we have economic upheaval and suddenly everybody now is focused on what do we do? And, uh, you know, what we know is that, as you pointed out so appropriately, the status quo was already a problem, right? right. Like women, women of color were already earning less than everybody else. So on top of their economic responsibilities, they were getting fewer wages. It's harder for them to move up the ladder. When you look more broadly beyond wages at just wealth, and access to assets and savings, women of color are on the bottom. If you look at single black women, their 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 uh, wealth, median wealth is like two hundred dollars compared to white single women. It's fifteen thousand dollars, a little over that, fifteen thousand six hundred dollars. White men, it's twenty eight. Almost. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. What, what could did I hear that correctly? Yes. Did you, you did. say two hundred dollars? Yes. For women of color versus their white counterpart is fifteen thousand dollars. Yes. Yes. If you look at median wealth, single black women. This is twenty fifteen data research uh, that was done. The median wealth was two hundred dollars for black women. It was a hundred dollars for Latinas. Compared oh to fifteen thousand six hundred and forty dollars for single white women, and twenty-eight thousand nine hundred dollars for single white men. And you know, we we often talk about earnings, but we don't talk about wealth. But that mm-hmm. what that means is that in a moment like this, people have greater ability to pull from savings, retirement, you know, do a loan against their home. Right, like th- those are the things that actually are the difference between 
being economically stable and being able to come out of this whole or really having devastating consequences for your families. So I, we thought it was important to put all of that on the table in talking about this moment if we're really going to think through what do we need to do um, and, and where do we need to go. Um, and we, since we know that women of color play such an outsized economic role in their families, it was important to say that because that narrative was com- completely getting missed in the conversation about the current crisis. So, Ms. Brown, this is Larry. Uh, in, our, in our notes, I noticed you uh, had to testify um, in Congress about the discriminatory practices being placed. And, and with all that being said and people tuning into our podcast, uh, where do you start? Where do, where do women of color start to maybe become their own entrepreneurs or bring what family savings they have together and 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 build or is education a key to this uh, how do you how do you motivate someone who's been on the bottom and now facing all these other challenges at the same time well i think um i mean you laid out some of them you know you these problems can happen overnight so they don't get fixed overnight um and you t- you start with you know um um incremental steps and build along the way. The, f- the first priority is to make sure that as we talk about what to do at this current moment, that we are actually focusing on the challenges affecting the people who are at the center of this conversation, women of color, men of color in essential jobs, things like that, people who are low-wage workers, making sure the solutions actually fit the problem, um, whether it's access to paid leave, whether it's access to financial supports um, like unemployment or um, you know other sorts of uh, stipends for emergency situations. Whatever the conversation is, making sure that we are elevating the the needs of of women of color um, and people of color more broadly. Um, At the same time, you're right. We need to be engaging in educating folks about what are their range of options. You know, maybe it's not just about traditional employment. Maybe it is about entrepreneurship and interacting with, you know, minority-owned banks who can help with lending sometimes um, and maybe more open to those sorts of opportunities. It is educating people about... um, um, building, rebuilding home ownership in communities of color and financial literacy, like all of those things are important um, that we need to do um, um, all at the same time. Um, the other thing I would say, though, is we also need to be focused on making sure that we're actually, um, we have the information about how this disease is actually uh, impacting our communities. Um, it should not be the case that we only know a handful of states, the racial and ethnic breakdown of who's been getting this disease, who's most likely to die from the disease. We often don't have those breakdowns by race and gender. We should have it for every single state in this country. And we should know, once we know that, we should be targeting resources to those communities. You know, that's, I think, where we we start. I'm sure under better leadership, it probably would have went um, that way. Uh, <laughs> I still can't get over. This. I still can't get over this uh, this median um, number, but I am um, going to move on because the, it, it, 
it's fascinating. It is fascinating, yeah. and 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 it, and it makes me think about when you have someone like the Secretary Treasury who gets up there at the podium or or, or does an interview, and and says that, oh well, the the twelve hundred dollars that we're sending Americans, that's that's more than enough. They can survive off of that for ten weeks. Mm-hmm. What ten weeks? That's a hundred and twenty dollars. Uh, a week when you break that down that's 17 dollars a day you are witnessing and watching miss fry we're, we're not trying to dominate the conversation but to echo it to a point uh, these are inappropriate people for me in this time there's not the compassion i would want right. to see exactly it, there is no no working conversations that i've heard that would begin to encompass people of color, black, brown, Latino, uh, to, 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 to be more vocal in this, 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 this terrible disease what we're fighting every day. But yet well, I, think it, I think it's what happens when you have people with enormous privilege leading mm, the conversation right. um, who, who've never really had to grapple to with these issues, and so they tend to minimize them. Um, that's, that's the reality. Um, and part of the reason I wrote the report is because we actually need to center a whole different group of people in this conversation if we're going to come up with policies that are actually responsive. Um, we need people of color at the center of the conversation. We need women of color at the center of the conversation um, because you're right, $1,200 is not going to be enough. Um, but in truth, some of the strategies that we've come up with, like giving people two weeks for sick leave, may not be enough if you've got a disease. Um, uh, you know, it's not enough to give people even 10 weeks if their schools are closed through the end of the year, right? Like those are, these are practical problems mm-hmm. that, you know, folks of color, um, low-income folks, People who have both people in, uh, if they have spouses in the workforce, you simply cannot stay at home um, and not have any economic impact on your on your family. So I think we sorely need leadership that is grounded in the reality of people's lives, and we are not getting that. Mm. That's that's unfortunate, but it's true. You know these numbers that you have. Um, in your honor, in your article, on the front lines at work and at home, um, are absolutely staggering. Mm-hmm. I mean, the top ten U.S. occupations with the largest shares of women of color in their workforce: manicurists and pedicurists, sixty-one percent; maids and housekeeping cleaners, sixty percent; skincare specialists, fifty-seven percent; health. Home health aides, 54%. And it just goes on. Nurses, nursing assistants, 50%. Medical assistants, 44%. They do so much. That's why when the numbers came out from New Orleans, because we are in that sector of service where we would be around people who had the disease and we weren't aware of it. So we we, we were asking other guests also... uh, uh, Ms. Fry, Fry um, your take on reopening the country at this time, what do you think? Yes, too fast? No? Um, I think it's 
it's very fast. Um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a, you know, a, a health expert. You know, I come at these issues from a legal background, but mm-hmm. everything that I understand about what we need to do to be to be in a position to reopen um, are, are things that are, are very much uh, in flux. We need to, you know, make sure that we see um, consistent declines in infections and not you know, continue to be on the upswing. Um, and we need to see that over an extended period of time. Um, and we need to make sure that we have the infrastructure in place to do sort of extended physical distancing. Like all of those things um, we seem not to have in place on a consistent basis. And from what I can tell in the states where these conversations are resulting in these sort of reopen orders, um, they're really being dri- driven by money, money and politics, mm-hmm. and not about sound science and what really will ensure the safety and health and well-being of the the citizens in their community. And, you know, uh, suffice to say, you know, money and politics ought not to drive th- these decisions. And when, it, when they do, um, they always um, come back to harm um, communities of color the most. Um, and, you know, that's, that's sort of the reality even in the numbers that you lifted up. You know, women of color disproportionately work in the jobs that provide for the care and mm-hmm. servicing and feeding of our country. Yeah. Um, they, they're low-income jobs often. They're people that we just expect to be there. And part of this is about, you know, people being inconvenienced, right? Like they're just used to some things, and because this is enormously inconvenient, they're just ready to go back. Um, without regard to the people who will be affected the most, the workers who have to go into those meatpacking plants, many women of color doing that work, um, the folks who have to, you know, they continue to, you know, they're the cashiers in a grocery store, all those folks, you know, are affected. And we have to stop sort of putting the dollars ahead of the people. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, leadership is about actually making sure that, you know, every person in this country can live a safe, healthy, productive life. And right now that that seems not to be the priority, and that's an enormous problem. Mm-hmm. Um, Ms. Wright, the, the years you spent with the Obamas, how amazing was that in your life? And can you share what history is going to say about that entire eight-year experience? Um, well, it's, you know, it's hard to capture in a few words. I mean, it was an incredible honor and privilege to, to work in that White House for, um, you know, I think a president who I think will be remembered in history for really um, – a groundbreaking leader um, um, and who I think meant so much in terms of the real concrete progress that we made as a nation um, and working 
for the first lady who is brilliant um, and exceptionally talented and who also is an incredible leader. So I, you know, I can't say enough about the, the, the um, experience of having that opportunity. Um, and I think the legacy of that administration will continue to live on. Um, and I think, you know, for all of the critiques of his opposition, um, the, the years have borne out and will continue to bear out the, um, the important progress that was made during that administration around health care, um, around, uh, uh, you know, equity issues and expanding opportunities for women. Um, you know, there were a number of real concrete gains, um, and I think that, that that was true. People recognized it then, but I think we continue to recognize it. And, you know, truthfully, um, these days, um, I think we feel even more uh, the, the contrast between um, competent, um, sound, uh, high-quality leadership and um, leaders who are driven by um, their own personal politics and um, economic interests. Um, so I, I am. Um, I was grateful then for the experience. I continue to reflect on it in a way that is positive. Um, but you know, I, the last thing I would say is this, I, I think in many ways the most important legacy of, of President Obama is something that he said in his departing speech in Chicago um, in, I think, January of 2017 um, uh, when he said, you know, he was one person, but there's so much more that we can do as a nation um, if we just um, resolve that we need to do it. Um, you know, we cannot just rely on one person or two people as the savior, um, other than, you know, the almighty. <laughs> but otherwise, you know, we all have a role to play. Um, and um, I, I take those words to heart um, today um, and going forward because uh, his legacy is a, a, a vibrant one, but part of that legacy is in our willingness to take up the the battle and the mantle yeah. and lead the charge going forward. Well, thank you, Ms. Fry. We're going to give you the final word and leave it right there. And thank you personally for your your leadership, your thought process, your boldness, boldness to stand and speak truth to power. And we appreciate your time today. And thank you so very much. Well, thank you for inviting me. It was great to be with you. Indeed. You can check out her article on the front lines at work and at home, the disproportionate economic effects of the coronavirus pandemic on women of color at AmericanProgress.org. Jocelyn Fry, thank you so much. Thank you. And that concludes our podcast for today. We'll be back with you next week with more refreshing topics. Thank you so much.